I mean, do you not think it's appropriate sometimes for God's people to just say, Amen. Amen. Would you be kind enough to take your Bible and turn to the Psalms again? And turn with me to Psalm 92 to start with. Psalm 92, please. We're continuing a theme today that is all over our Bibles. And in the Psalms, if anywhere, we find again and again as to what is encompassing of our time and reason we came here this morning, and that is the worship of our great, that we heard this morning from the Word, our great God. Psalm 92, 92, let's just start there. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. It's good to give thanks. Well, how about over to Psalm 95? Oh, come, <clears throat> let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with, I want to hear you. Let us come before his presence with, ah, let us shout joyfully him with psalms. Again, for the Lord is a great God. And great king above all gods. Well, over to Psalm 100. Let's just keep rolling. Psalm 100. This is a familiar one, isn't it? But notice the theme again. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God and is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Well, if you were with us last week, we began to be reminded how this theme of thankfulness is no minor issue with the God of heaven. Over 60 times, just in the Psalms alone, yet alone the rest of the Bible as a whole. So we were thinking biblically last week and remembering the fact that the idea of being a grateful Christian has little to do with a holiday and everything to do with the Christian life and how we live our lives for the Lord. Thankfulness is a distinguishing mark of a true believer. It sets you apart from those who do not know our God. MacArthur says it this way, being unthankful is the very essence of an unregenerate heart, Romans 121. For the Christian, he states, being ungrateful is a form of spiritual abnormality. What does he mean by that? Well, I'll tell you what he means by that. 
He's telling us that if you really are a believer today, you've trusted in Christ, you've repented of your sin, and you've turned to Christ alone, and you're living your life for him, and you're following the word by the grace of God to the best of your ability for the glory of God, and you are not a grateful believer, there is something wrong. There's something wrong. Something has to be figured out here because you're inconsistent with what is true about a true child of God. And last week we thought about the fact that this relates to what we call the theological issue. In other words, it relates to the fact of you and your view of God and the goodness of God and all the other blessings in life that come from him. And how the goodness of God is a motivation to the reality, even as we read this morning, that you are grateful for all the blessings in life. Every good and perfect gift comes down from where? The Father of lights. And so our understanding of God and the nature of God and the blessings of God in our life are great motivation for us to be continually praising him. And the heart of that praise is to say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We also thought about the fact that it has everything to do not only with our theology, do you remember, but with that word soteriology. And we speak about soteriology, we're just talking about the truth or the doctrine of salvation. And we zeroed in on the reality, that word for salvation or saved, as it's translated in our Bibles all over the New Testament in particular, has the idea of a deliverance. And among all other things that salvation is, is that we've been snatched from the fire. We've been delivered. We've not been delivered to God, but we've been delivered from God and from his wrath, from his holy wrath that is upon an unbeliever for all of eternity. And so when we really understand and we grow in our understanding of the, of the doctrines of grace and these great themes of salvation, it motivates us to live thankfully every day and say, oh God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for delivering me. And I live in light of the fact that I, you may take me home today, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and delivered from his from his wrath to come, as we will read later in his word. But there's another issue that we're going to come to today in the bulletin and and to our consideration of this theme that's all over the scriptures. And I want you to turn to the New Testament with with me uh, this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians, if you would please, to the book of Ephesians. And another issue that has everything to do with this barometer of the Christian life, as it's been called, and that is the measure of my love for the Lord and salvation reflected in my thankfulness. Ephesians chapter 4 is the issue number 3. We'll say it this way, and it is with reference to my walk. My walk. My walk with the Lord, in Ephesians chapter 4. And when I say about your walk, I hope for most of you, maybe all of you this morning, you realize that this is all over the New Testament to describe the manner of life of a believer, how we live our lives, and we're told to live our lives a certain way. 
In fact, you would know this morning, I would pray, that if you're in Christ, you had an old walk, and now you have a new walk. And the old walk was characterized by you, and called, we could say even a walk in the flesh. Now you have a new life that is a walk about Jesus Christ, and it's a, a walk in the Spirit and a walk by the Spirit in the book of Galatians. And that new walk is to characterize many things in the Christian life. It's to be a walk. Well, look at Ephesians 4. Therefore I, the prisoner of the, of the Lord, implore you, implore you to, here's our word, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Then you get a description of that walk. Humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another. In love, diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this, this new, new walk, this new manner of life that the Christian is called to involves this humility and love and gentleness and holiness, certainly patience and and a walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And thankfulness has everything to do with you having a, listen carefully, a real and faithful walk with God, with the Lord. John describes this in 1 John when he calls this the, the, the experiencing fellowship with God by walking in the light. And the light is the light of God's word, his truth. So John calls this this fellowship that we experience with God as we're walking in accord with the truth of God as he revealed it to us in the Bible. So when we're talking about a believer's walk, we're talking about the time that you would spend in his word on your own. We're talking about the time that you're communing with God through prayer. That old idea that God, and it's true, it's biblical, God speaks to us through his word and he hears from us through our time of prayer with him. There's other aspects of this walk. It's the fellowship of the church. It's, it's, It's the opportunities that God has equipped us to be able to serve others. But all of these relate to what we could well call and rightly called disciplines of the Christian life. And when it comes to the idea of our walk, this idea of thankfulness, these disciplines are both developed and then produced by a thankful heart and a thankful life. So we could maybe say it this way, and then we could take our Bibles and we could turn over to the book of, of 1 Thessalonians to just drive this home for us. We could say it this way, perhaps this morning. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he what? He abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. And I'm getting to that word obedience. Because that disciplines of grace in the believer's life that relate to his, his or her, your walk, involved a key word here of obedience. Yes, we seek to live our lives to please the God of heaven. Do we not? But we also understand that the things that God has told us as his children to develop in our lives and becoming more like Christ are a matter of our obedience. 
Yes, we obey him out of love, but we obey him. And he's expressed what he desires for that obedience ah, in his word. When we get to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, I want you to notice, no surprise, in verse 2, what's Paul doing about the Thessalonians? Chapter 1, verse 2, he's giving what? He's giving thanks for them, right? But what I want you to notice is down in verse 6, and it's in the next chapters too, also. In verse 6, he says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. Tribulation and joy going together. Look at down to verse 9. For they themselves report to us about what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. What a beautiful description there of conversion. Turned, repented, turned to him from and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Mm. We get over into chapter 2, verse 14. Notice with me again, chapter 2, verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So we see, and we could look at other verses in 1 Thessalonians, this young church was a suffering church. They experienced a cost in embracing the gospel and believing upon Jesus Christ and living for Christ. They were suffering in many ways for so doing. Maybe the loss of job, maybe rejection of family, whatever else. They were a suffering church. And as we come to the close of this great book over in chapter 5, then, then the apostle gives them these general admonitions concerning this walk they're going to have now with the Lord to these believers were experiencing persecution. And he says things like this in verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak and be patient with everyone. And see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all peoples. And then in verse 16, 17, and 18, which is one sentence, really one verse together, he gives three powerful directives, commands, in the imperative form that is in a present tense form, which means this, you are commanded to do this now and to make these things characteristic of your life until Jesus comes. And look what he says in verse 16, rejoice always, rejoice always. No exceptions here. Almost sounds like James, doesn't he? How James begins the book of James. My brethren, count it all, what? When you fall into various trials and suffering. Count it all joy to a suffering church. No exceptions here. Why? Because you can always come back to the issue that you're saved 
and you're delivered from the wrath to come. No matter what else is going on, you have reason to rejoice. So he says, without all believers, I want you to rejoice. Let this be characteristic of your life. And then in verse 17, favorite verse at the uh, quiz where you're taking turns sharing your favorite verse, you know. Pray without ceasing. One word in the Greek text, common word for prayer, but in that imperative form. Worry about nothing, but pray about everything. Let it continually be what comes, what emulates from your heart in every situation in life. Good and bad, mowing the lawn, pray to him. (laughs) Driving to work, talk to him about everything. Pray about work. (laughs) On your way home, in all of life, commune to him. He is your heavenly what? Father. Don't stop that. Prayer. And then we get to verse 18. That's where pastor was heading. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And please note, that statement, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, is for rejoicing, and it is for praying, and it is for being thankful in everything. All three. In fact, in verse 18, he even loads the adverb before the verb to make it an emphatic form. Giving thanks continually. Every, no exceptions here, right? Ephesians 5.20 says, this is the will of God, likewise. Wisdom. No excuses. Every circumstance going on in one's life. Spurgeon has a comment about that. He says, I've not always found it easy to practice this duty. Oh, really? This, I confess, is my shame. To my shame, when suffering extreme pain some time ago, a brother in Christ said to me, and and Spurgeon suffered with gout and a number of other physical ailments continually. This brother said to him, have you thanked God for this? I replied that I desire to be patient, would be thankful to recover. But he said, in everything give thanks, not after it's over, but while you are still in it. And perhaps when you are enabled to give thanks for the severe pain, it will cease. Spurgeon said, I believe there might be much force that is of good advice. Hmm. How do you do that? Do you do that? I just, I just come with a common cold today. I don't want to shake your hand. <laughs> Have I rejoiced in this? I give thanks for this? How do you do this? Can I assert to you this, this is downright impossible on your own. That's why as we obey this admonition, we trust God. And as we trust God, we seek to obey. So all that God conveys to us in his word that he demands of us, he gives us sustaining and enabling grace to carry it out. So we say this, Lord, I don't know that I necessarily feel like doing this, but I know it's right. I know you're worthy of it. I know you're requiring of it, and I'm going to choose to do so, and you're going to help me to have the attitude of life that gives all glory to you. Can you say amen to that? So I don't think it's impossible. I think it's impossible apart from the grace of God in 
our lives. And your walk with the Lord has everything to do with this. Because as you're walking in terms of your own time in the Word and your own time in prayer and your own fellowship with others and your progressive sanctification, you could have wrote that in number three, couldn't you? You could have wrote the word sanctification. You're going to experience ongoing presence and power in your life to be able to carry out obedience of the things that he requires of us. Because he is a good God, he will help us. So these are disciplines, yes. These are disciplines of the Christian life, but to the degree, with God's help, that I work to be more of a thankful believer. It helps me in other areas of my life likewise. Let me just give a couple of these Uh, to you just very quickly and show you a biblical basis for this. As you're growing and being a thankful believer, thankfulness helps you to be humble. Thankfulness helps you. Growing as a thankful believer helps you to grow in humility. And remember what James in the Word of God says about this issue of humility. But he gives a greater grace, James 4, 6, it's on the overhead. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Thankfulness, growing as a thankful believer, helps me to grow in humility. What does a proud person do? They take credit for themselves. They want credit for themselves. They love praise for themselves. They love the praise of others. What does a thankful person do? Thankful person humbles upon and focuses upon God and others. Thankfulness promotes humility in your life. Let me give you a second thing that it that helps us in terms of personal growth, and that is that thankfulness aids you in your own personal holiness. It aids you in your own personal holiness. And we know the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1 on the overhead, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts which were yours and your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior or your manner of life, in all of your walk. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. But at the core of holiness, beloved, you know this, is the idea of being set apart. Holiness is set apart of what is impure to pure, what is unholy to holy, what is evil unto good. Holiness is being set apart. And that's what God did with the nation, didn't he? He said, you're going to be my holy people and I'm going to set you apart, and you're going to be peculiar in all these ways in terms of I'm going to be your God, and you're going to eat a certain way, and you're going to dress a certain way. You're my particular distinct people. And when you, as a believer, seek to employ the discipline of giving thanks to God for all things, it sets you apart in a world where people are genuinely ungrateful. Mm -hmm. 
And you go to work, and they're over here grumbling about the work, and you're over here thanking God for the job. And you go out to eat, and there are people over around you that are grumbling about the lack of uh, good service, and you're just thanking God for the meal. And it sets you apart and makes your light so shine among men that they may see your good work and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Thankfulness helps us grow in personal holiness. Let me give you a third one, but you have to turn to the Gospel of Luke. A third way that pursuing in obedience to God to have a thankful heart helps us. And the third way is this. Well, we find it in Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. Thankfulness brings glory to God. No surprise, does it? Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. 17, 11. If you're there and looking at the text, would you show me you're alive and say amen? amen. Thank you. 1711, here we go. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprosome men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And look at this, isn't it beautiful? And as they were going, they were cleansed. They didn't get there to get cleansed. Immediately, as they're going, they're being healed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. There it is. And he was a Samaritan, oh boy. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten leprous, ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? There's a lot to be said about that, isn't there? Was no one found who returned to do what? To give glory to God. The one who came back to him and gave thanks glorified the Son of God who is God in the flesh. I have a thankful heart. I'm glorifying God. We say it all the time, don't we? Whether we eat, whether we drink, we want to do all to the glory of God. You have a thankful heart. You're giving glory to God. Yes. But there's a challenge here. And that is that duty is one thing. A grateful heart that just flows from a grateful heart is another thing. When kids were little and people were always so kind and so good to them in so many ways and Somebody give them something or take them somewhere, and when they get home, we'd always ask the same thing. Well, were you? Well, please, just some, one person be with me here. We'd ask them the same question. Were you, were you thankful? And they, if they didn't, their mom would make them write a note or something to that effect, right? And so it was common, you know? Something happened, we'd say, are you thankful? Really got to a point. Oftentimes, when something would take place in their lives that was some sort, kind of kindness or whatever, and dad would begin to say to them, hey, are you? And before I'd even get it done, they'd say, yes, dad, yes, dad. I said, thanks. Now, that's good. 
We want more than that. We want thankful hearts. How do you get a thankful heart? We can't do that. Who has to do that? God has to do that. That's our prayer for God to do that in their lives. We can go through, yep, I'm going to work harder on this, and that's a good thing. But how do we gain a thankful heart? We do so by having a walk with God. And as we're in his word and communing with him and serving him and living for him and seeking to please him, we see God working in our lives and through our lives in ways we can't do on our own and changing us to make us more like Christ. And how can we be anything but thankful? Or let me flip it over. Let me flip it over. If you're not walking with the Lord, you're not walking with the Lord, I know something about you. And I'm not walking with the Lord, you know something about me. I will not be thankful. Because I believe the things that come my way, I deserve plus better. Amen? Talked about that last week. So how does this gain in our life? With our fellowship with God. But do not miss the fact, it is also expressed to us clearly, we could go to other verses other than 1 Thessalonians, this is a spiritual discipline of the child of God in pleasing God through obedience. And if I love him, I will obey him. And as I'm obeying him, I am demonstrating that I love him. And the core of that is what God did to me and for me in his son, Jesus Christ. Hmm. So it's a matter of our theology, isn't it? God's goodness in our life. It's a matter of our soteriology, our salvation, and realizing we've been delivered from the wrath to come. It's a matter of our own responsibility, of our walk with God to understand his call for us to grow in this discipline that he gives us grace to grow in and makes us distinct from a world because we are so grateful what God has done in our lives. Let me give you a fourth one. Let me give you a fourth one this morning. And this is one that was a, 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 an initial concern of my own life and of us as a a church family that we be ever growing in this area. And that is that thankfulness certainly is, and we get that already from the Psalms, isn't it? It's a matter of my personal and our as PBC people, our worship, is it not? It is a matter of our worship together and personally as his people. Why do we come together today? Why do we come? And did we come prepared with hearts filled with thankfulness? Hmm. Let me state the principle. Here it is, pretty obvious. There is no worship without the giving of thanks. You know, no worship. Now, there's more involved in worship, but there's no worship without the giving of thanks. Thanks is essential to worship. It has everything to do with praising God. We're praising him. We are involved in that praise, adoring him and everything else is thankfulness to him for who he is, what he's like, and what he's done for us. There's a, 
statement in the book of Chronicles that I wanted to point out to us, and it's, it's early in the establishment of the worship there at, at, among the establishment of the, of the Levites and, and all the music that's going to go on, all the people and all the ways that worship would be done at the temple. But I thought it's interesting how a day would begin and a day would end among God's people at temple. They are to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. And likewise, at evening. You know that ought to be our lives, amen? Morning and every evening. All the worship that's going on, sacrifice and everything else that's taking place at temple is couched in between the fact that they would begin that day thanking, praising, thanking God. They would end that day with thanking God. Everything related to who he was and how worthy he is of that thanks. We're assembled here today in the name of Christ for more than one reason, I trust, to hear his word proclaimed, right? To build each other up in the faith, to pray with and for one another. But if anything ought to be true likewise, through him then, the writer of Hebrews conveys to us the word of God, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that does what? That gives thanks to his name. Mm. It just sounds like the Psalms again. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout for joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. We read that, didn't we? Shout joyfully to him with psalms, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. And these things are necessary for us before we get here, before we come. And I want to tell you a couple of reasons why this morning, just briefly, a couple of reasons why it's so important that we prepare ourselves for our worship and we teach our children, we teach others likewise this. And let me assert to you, one of the reasons that this is so is because worship is dangerous. You say, come on, pastor. No, worship is dangerous because God is dangerous, because God is holy to be feared above all else. And so we come before him, we realize we are coming into the presence of God in a unique way as his people, are we not? We're coming saying, we're yours. We're coming for you and to you. And we could go back to the Psalms, I won't do that, and it talks about coming to him with clean hands and pure heart and, and the qualifiers to come into his presence. You've heard me use the analogy before, but I think it's so fitting. You know, go to the airport, you got to go through that thing that makes you sure you don't have metal or something else on you, right? Imagine if there was one of those at church that would, would deem whether or not you were ready for worship. Start to go through, zzz, go home, get ready, come back. I'm telling you worship is dangerous, and I'm telling you that the Bible shows us the seriousness of worship in place after place in the Scripture. For instance, here is Aaron giving that responsibility as high priest over with reference to uh, the temple, tabernacle, and, and the Levites and so forth. But you remember, he had sons. And he had sons who were brought 
uh, with Moses and Aaron to, in the initial tabernacle, the beginning of worship of God. And those sons uh, saw God consume an offering. They saw the very glory of God involved early on with Moses and Aaron and the elders of Israel. And then we read later about those two sons. Do you remember their name? Nadab and Abihu. And what do they do? Well, they're involved in, the, in helping the people with the worship, and they just kind of go through the, and they offer strange fire to God. What happened? God killed him. And then he said, why? He said, I will be treated as holy among my people. We get farther on, there's this great King Uzziah. He was a good king. And Isaiah got full of himself as king. And he thought he should worship God by himself, apart from the way God had ordained worship would take place. So he goes into the temple, and he's going to offer incense to God because he's the king, right? And he goes to take a laver with incense and offer worship, and his hand, his arm, becomes leprous. And the priests rush him out of there. And the Bible tells us he was a leper till the day that he died. You say, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. Well, you get into the New Testament. Here's Ananias and Sapphira. They're going to worship God. Giving is worship, is it not? Isn't giving part of our worship? So they're going to get on to help the needs of the early church. That was a good thing. They didn't have to do that. But they lied about what they were giving. And in so doing, the apostle made that evident, and God took them home. I'm telling you this morning that C.S. Lewis got it right in Narnia when Susan hadn't yet met Aslan, the lion, Christ. Remember the question? She asked the beaver, Mr. Beaver, is he safe? What did Mr. Beaver say? Who said anything about safe? But I'll tell you, he's good. But he isn't safe. He's God. How do you approach him? And I'm telling you, men and women, married couples, you come in here and you're at odds with one another and you have not determined you're going to get things right or sought, sought to before you got here. And you think, you think anything that you're doing is pleasing to the God of heaven. I say that to you in love because this is a warning in my own life as a sinner. We can't come without being prepared to worship this God. So there's acceptable worship. <laughs> And there's worship God rejects. And Jesus said, you're coming to make your offering, okay? You're coming to worship and you're going to present your offering to the Lord, Matthew chapter 5, remember it? And he says, you come and you realize, man, somebody's got conflict with you. You're not right with somebody and you know it. What's he say? Leave it. Go get reconciled or do your part in doing so. Now come. Before me, offer your worship. So our thanks has everything to do with acceptable worship with the God of heaven. Turn with me back to the Psalms. We start there, we're going to end there. 
Psalm 69. Psalm 69. So I was saying likewise this morning. Because I live with a sinner, I do everything I can to get her ready before we come to church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's Psalm 69. Yes. Hmm. Psalm 69, verse 30, verse 30 and 31. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. There we go. Notice this. And it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hooves. What's the point? You can make an offering and it not be from the what? Not be from the heart. But if I get worship from the heart of real thanks and praise, oh my, it makes the offering acceptable. But the main thing is our hearts. And only Christ is the solution to my heart being cleansed continually by his grace. Well, they say uh, pastors are supposed to be ready to preach, pray, die, or take an offering at any time. I believe God's people are to be prepared to worship him. And our worship, when it's right, will be ready by being thankful to God for all that is our blessings in him. This is more than an issue about a holiday. This is imperative for the Christian life. Would you say amen to that? So let me close. Let's, let's close within the, in the Psalms a prayer. Let's go to Psalm 86 and just make this our prayer. In closing, this part is just before pastor comes and Psalm 86, yes. Verse 11 and 12. Psalm 116 says, To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Verse 11, 86, 11. This is our prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Oh, that's what I want. Unite my heart to fear your name. And I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with what? There it is. With all my heart and will glorify your name forever. Amen. Father, thank you for how clear your word is to us as it relates to having hearts that are eager to live for you, to worship you, not just on the Lord's day, though it is a time where we gather together, but that we would remember our lives, our words, our choices, our work is our worship. And that you are great 
we were so reminded in the first hour today, we have a way of making God something other than what you truly are. You are holy. You are majestic. You are righteous in every way. And you are just and judge. And I ask that as we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ, that we'll be ever mindful part of that is to grow with thankful hearts full of praise. And we pray this in Christ's name and all his people said, Amen. Amen.